Father God, we just give you this time, and uh, we come in here just on our own journey. Some of us are coming in limping and bleeding, um, and some of us just from some really rough places and struggling with next steps and, and what kind of life we're supposed to be living and what's next, where are we headed. And so God, we bring this time um, to you, and we bring our hearts to you, and we ask that you would speak into our lives that we would hear what we need to hear, uh, that you would make these more than just words spoken uh, by me, but God, words spoken by you, that you would make the truth about who you are and what you call us to penetrate hearts and fuel us to live the life that we are created to live. And God, we just pray all these things as a community and pray this in your name. Amen. Well, last week we, uh, we talked about this longing that each of us has within us for intimacy, this longing to belong, this longing to love and to be loved. And if we could describe last, this, the longing we talked about last week as a longing to belong, um, we could describe the longing that we're talking about this morning as a longing to become. It is a, a longing for, for destiny, a longing that God has given us for a future, to believe that we were created for something, that we were created with a, a purpose, a mission, Calling. Now, just out of curiosity, I'd love to know, like, what, did you, what did you dream about when you were growing up? What did you dream about being one day? NFL football what? player. NFL football player. Oh. Shelby. Oh. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what else? A teacher. A teacher? Fighter pilot. Fighter pilot, yeah. Professional wrestler. Professional wrestler, <laughs> Yes. Professional Lego builder. I want that job. Talk show host. Cool. Marine biologist. What else? Veterinarian. Very cool. Very cool. Isn't it? Isn't it fascinating? It's fascinating to me that as kids, as children, that we are able to imagine a life that we have not known yet. That as kids who have really very little concept of need or life or even ourselves, that we long to become something that we aren't yet. I mean, think about it. You're five years old and you want to be a veterinarian. You know, what fuels that? You're five. You don't need a job. You know, like your bills are paid. Right? All of your basic needs are met. You've got food and shelter and toys and clothes uh, you've got, you know, a personal chauffeur. You've got a personal bodyguard. Uh, you've got a private chef. Like, this is the best you will ever have it. And yet, we want something more. Right? We, we don't have any concept of, of money or, or even need or ourselves. And yet, we long to become something. To do something with our lives. More than just simply paying bills. To become Something. And of course, when we dream, it's not, we never dream of being something that's just mediocre or average, but we long to do something that's significant, something meaningful. Right? We dream about being the best of the best. And so for me, what I dreamed about when I was a kid was being a professional basketball player. It's what I wanted to be for pretty much my whole life. Nobody bothered to tell me that being 6'1 and white was a problem. <laughs> right? But even if you would have told me that, uh, I went to, it wouldn't have mattered, because in my mind, I was absolutely convinced that I was going to be the next Michael Jordan, the next Magic Johnson, 
the next Larry Bird, it can still happen. I don't, I don't know. I don't, you know? I wish I could believe that. But I, my vertical is not very high. I'm not that athletic. Right? But if you talk to any kid, bright-eyed kid shooting hoops on the basketball court, like, they'll tell you the exact same thing. Right? The names have just changed. Instead of being the next Michael, they want to be the next Kobe. Or instead of being the next Magic, they want to be the next LeBron. Right? And as they were shooting hoops out in the driveway, right? we, we don't long to be the... Nobody dreams of being the guy at the end of the bench, riding the pine. Right? Never dream of being the guy who has the, the one-year contract to see how it goes, never gets into the game, right? gets paid the, the NBA minimum. Right? We dream of being the star. We dream of being the guy who the coach wants the ball in his hands at the end of the game. We assume as kids that greatness is within our grasp. George Bernard Shaw lamented that imagination was wasted on children. But it was Einstein who credited his genius to never losing his childlike curiosity. See, no kid ever dreams of doing something that's just average. You never talk to a little kid that says, you know, I just kind of want to be mediocre for the rest of my life. And if I could just kind of float under the radar and nobody would ever know who I am, never accomplish anything significant, nothing worthy of remembrance, never achieve anything worth any recognition, if I could just float underneath the radar on the fringe of society where nobody ever really knows me or what I'm capable of, that would just be awesome. Right? Kids never dream about that. As kids, we just assume that greatness is within our reach. And even before we know anything about really ourselves or life or have any concept of need, we long to become, to do something significant. But of course, for many of us, that changes quite a bit as we grow older. And sometime between childhood and adulthood, we lose some of that. Most of us. Not all of us, but many of us. And whether that be through failure or through disappointment, or whether it just be from the, the busyness and the demands of life, we lose, we lose sight of this longing within us for destiny. See, there is, a, there is a longing within you to become. There's a longing for destiny, to believe that tomorrow can be better than today, or that, that we can be different than we are right now. But the truth is that you can kill that longing within you. You can choose to ignore it and fight it and kill it within you. There is, there is, just like all these longings we've talked about, there is a dark side to destiny. And it is this thing that we call apathy. We're coming to the place where we lose hope and we lose vision for our life. And we just settle into existence and existing and letting life come at us rather than creating life. So just let things happen and the future come as it may rather than beginning to step in and to create the future that we long for. And so as I was preparing for this message this week, I was beginning to process through uh, the things that I've just learned, I guess, about apathy along the way. I started thinking about my own life experiences, my own story, uh, anything that I've read. And I really struggled, honestly, to, to come up with a whole lot. And, and I opened up the, the, the scriptures, and I just began kind of combing through the scriptures and trying to find something that really t- spoke to, uh, like a story of somebody who really struggled with apathy, but I, but I, I struggled to find much of anything. And, and, the, and the reason for that is because we don't write about apathetic people. There's nothing to write when we look at people who live a life of apathy. There's no words for the page. There's nothing meaningful, significant to read about. 
are because it's always the people who are passionate who shape the course of human history, right? right it's people who, who are passionate that we write about. It's people who are, who are passionate that we remember. People that, we are, that are passionate are the people who shape our lives and shape this world. Passion is that powerful. But of course, the dangerous thing about passion is that it can just as easily lead to nothing as it can lead to something. Right? Passion is that powerful. Passionate people shape the context in which we live. And the dangerous thing is that, that passion can lead to good just as easily it can lead to evil. And so whether it is a, uh, a Stalin or a Roosevelt, right? whether it is a, a, a Churchill or a Hitler, passionate people create the context in, the, in which the rest of us live our lives. Meanwhile, the apathetic disappear into the backdrop of insignificance. And so I found it really difficult to find a whole lot about apathetic people in the scriptures. But I did find a moment in the life of someone in which apathy ruled. And so if you have a Bible or have a smartphone, if you would uh, turn with me to Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. This is where it starts. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. All right, so God is speaking into Jonah's life, saying you were created for a purpose, you are created for a mission, this is what it is. You have a mission to fulfill, here's your destiny, here's your destination, go. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So he's not exactly apathetic yet, right? He's at least being proactive. He's being proactive about the wrong things. And he's disobeying God. He's running away from God, rather than stepping into the life that God has created him to live. But at least he's doing something. He's proactive. We'll give him that. It goes on, verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below the deck where he lay down, and he fell into a deep sleep. All right, now, I find this to be a little weird, right? I mean, you have this huge storm. The ship is being thrown to and fro. They're afraid that the ship is actually going to break apart. They're throwing things into the sea. They're crying out in desperation. And Jonah is sleeping at the bottom of the ship. Right? But have you ever noticed that, that one of the, the, the great signs of people who are overcome with apathy is they never have any energy? Right? It's just a chore to get up on, in, the, in the morning, to get out of bed. Right? They're just sleepwalking in this, like, this conscious state of unconsciousness because there's nothing that propels them forward. There's no sense of destiny. There's no sense of future. There's no vision for their life. They just seem to be exhausted and tired all the time. And so part of me gets at least a little bit of what's going on here with Jonah. He's fast asleep while others are working tirelessly just to survive. And so Jonah goes down into the ship and he lays down and falls asleep. And the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us. Who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? Do you know? Do you have any idea? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? 
He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. Oh, and by the way, he's the creator of the sea that is about to swallow us up, and the dry land as well. Verse 10, this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? For they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Just telling this story. Yeah, God told me to go over there, but I'm going to go over there. And in verse 11, the sea, we're told, is getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Now, what I think is interesting here is these these sailors are in total panic, total desperation. They're crying out to to every god that they can think of or remember. And and I think sometimes what's easy for us as as followers of Christ, for those who, who know God, right, is that we... Those of us who know the truth as we look around at other people and we look at them praying for these false gods and we say, you know what, of course it's not working, right? Of course it's not working out for them. They're praying to gods that don't exist. But you know what, at least they're doing something. Right? At least they're fighting for their lives. They're calling out to their, their own gods the only thing that they knew how to do. They're throwing everything overboard. They're getting rid of cargo. They're trying to make the ship as light as possible so they're not taking on any more water. They're just trying to do something to make the situation better and survive the storm. Well, the guy who knew God did absolutely nothing. And maybe that's part of the great tragedy for some of us as we begin to sit here this morning and evaluate our lives through the lens of destiny. There are people around us doing all types of great things, beautiful things. In some sense, God honoring things and serving other people. There are people who are trying to end famine in Africa. Or there are people who are giving their lives to try to to end human suffering. Or to combat human trafficking. To do away with racism. Doing all these beautiful things. And sometimes, it is so sad because as Christians, sometimes what we do is we look at them and say, yeah, you know what though? They 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 don't know Christ. But the truth is, at least they're trying to do something. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And Jonah answered, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Like, isn't that just embarrassing? Like, isn't that pitiful? Just pick me up. Throw me over there. I could do it, but I don't want to. You know, I don't really care. Truth is, so just throw me over. In a minute, we're all going to go down, so you might as well just throw me in first. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. All right, so here's my question, and here's what, what bothers me. is Why didn't Jonah say, all right, guys, here's the deal. All right, you've been praying to gods that aren't real. All right, and they can't hear you because they don't exist. They can't help you because they're not real. And so even though I've been disobedient and I don't really care that much, for your sake, I will cry out to the one true God. And he'll make the sea calm and he'll know who the one true God is. I'll do it for your sake. But he doesn't. He's absolutely apathetic. He doesn't care about his life. And he's so in that apathy. He's so consumed with himself. He's so selfish that he can't even bring himself to cry out to God on behalf of those around him. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land. I love that. Instead of doing what Jonah has asked them to do and throwing them into the sea, instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. 
And then they cried out to the Lord. The Lord. They cried out to the Lord. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. All right, so here's the crazy thing. They're crying out to all these false gods, and then something happens. All of a sudden, now they're crying out to Jonah's God. Jonah, the guy who knows God, who knows the truth, who believes in God, is doing absolutely nothing, and now they're crying out to God, and they're fighting against the wind and the waves to save this man's life because they care more about Jonah than Jonah cares about himself. And isn't it a tragedy when people who know God care less than people who don't? Isn't it a tragedy when people who would say, you know what, I, yeah, I'm not Christian, I, I'm not sure that I buy into that, care more than people who do? Verse 15, Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. And at this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I wonder how many of us this morning, if we were really transparent about where we're at, would have to admit that we're in the same place that Jonah was, that we are essentially living in the belly of a fish. We're sitting passively, right, letting life just come at us because we've given up on creating it allowing the future to just be something that happens to us because we've given up on creating it. I read one time that um, koalas sleep 22 hours a day. And so they're really only awake just long enough to eat and to poop. And they pretty much live in a state of intoxication at all times because they you know, live on eucalyptus. And so I don't know about you, but I've had friends like that. You know? And I've certainly known Christians like that. Too many that I care to admit. I wonder how many of us have settled into a life of apathy because we have given up on this longing within us for destiny. You know, one of the dark sides is apathy, but sometimes even worse than that is apathy can turn into anger when life doesn't work out the way that we want it to. And we find ourselves becoming not, not artists who are creating something beautiful with our life, but critics. And one of the dark sides of this longing, when we give up on it and try to kill it within us, and we live passively, is, is that we can become very, very disappointed and very, very bitter and get to a point where we can't even celebrate the success of others. And so we criticize. And we stand back and we tear apart what other people create. And we no longer just don't live out our own destiny, but we find ourselves actually beginning to tear apart the destinies of others. But the truth is, you have a destiny. You have been created on purpose, with a purpose. If you have a Bible, I'm going to Ephesians. I want to share a passage with you. Ephesians 2, verse 8, 8 through 10. I love this passage of scripture. <clears throat> this is what it says, starting in verse 8. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And this is an important distinction for us to make. 
as we talk about destiny, as we talk about creating, as we talk about a lot of doing, is that Paul's making sure we know, hey, by the way, all that is well and good and you have been created for a purpose, but you need to know that whether or not you live into that has nothing to do with whether God loves you or doesn't love you. The fact that grace is made available to you and that God loves you actually has absolutely nothing to do with you. Right, so we don't live into our destiny to try to appease God. Right? We don't step into our future because God won't accept us or love us if we don't. He's saying that this is a free gift. It is made available to us because God loves us anyway. Regardless of who we are or who we are not, regardless of what we do or don't do, that's the starting point. But then he goes on to say this. Verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Oh, I love that. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You have a destiny. There are things that God has created for you to do, that God has created you to create. There are relationships that God has intersected with your life on purpose, and you are that person that God wants to use to be a light in the darkness, to serve other people, to point people to their creator. There are things that God is waiting for you to create. There are things that he desires for you to do. Right? Maybe you're here and, and you and God have been misunderstanding each other because you've been waiting on God to do something with your life and God's been waiting on you to do something with your life. Right? You have been created on purpose. And there are things that God has created you to do that he prepared in advance for you to do. But the truth is, I can't tell you what those are. And neither can anybody else. And other people can speak into your life and help guide you in the right direction. But you're the one that's going to have to do the hard work of beginning to pursue God and to pursue the life that you've been created to live. All right, so how do I do that? Well, one of the hard things about beginning to understand the passions that God has given you and begin to live into the life that you've created to live is sometimes we find that the things that you're passionate about, you're not talented to do. You know, it's like, it's what I call the American Idol syndrome. (laughs) And I know American Idol isn't like really in vogue anymore, and I haven't had cable for like six years, so, you know, when I used to watch it, it was like at its peak, right? And, and the American Idol syndrome is what makes the first, like, four weeks of American Idol some of the best television there is. Because these people show up, and they will tell you in no uncertain terms that I will be the next American Idol. Right, this is what I've been created for, through tears. They're absolutely convinced. And then they get up, and they sing. And we know immediately, they are not. You know, that they're not just not good, they're horrible. Right? And then Randy Jackson's like, dog. That was pitchy, dog. It was a bit pitchy. You know, and then Paula Abdul, I know she's not on there anymore, but she was the best because she can never say anything mean, you know? And so she, <laughs> she'd say, like, you know, when you were up there, I just saw hues of purple and orange. And, you know, it's, it's just something about you when you're there. It's like you're just, the colors radiate, and you're you, and you should be proud. You know, and you're like, what did you just say? Do you even know what you just said? And then finally, we love Simon, because Simon says how it is. He's like, you suck. You're awful. Please do the world a favor and never open your mouth again. Right? And, of course, that's, you know, Simon went over to X Factor, and he gets to continue to do that. We love him for it. But, I mean, the real tragedy, though, is that they're there. 
and that none of their friends and family love them enough to sit them down and say, hey, you're not talented. You're not going to be able to do this. And the longer that you do this, you're going to be wasting your time because you're going to go nowhere. And it sounds harsh to say, but wouldn't that be like the most loving thing? Because these poor people get on national television and just embarrass themselves. And it's entertaining. I love it. You know, thank you. But the more loving thing to do would be to say that. That's the tragedy of it. All right, so part of, part of beginning to discover like, what we're created to do and, and part of beginning to discover like, what we're actually talented to do is to invite other people into the conversation and ask those people that we trust who know us and know at least some of what we're capable of to, to speak into our life. Say, yeah, or no. I remember uh, I used to be a worship pastor um, doing the music stuff. And uh, I realize now that I'm not very good at that and that I was a total hack. Uh, but for a while, I did it. And I used to do a fair amount of music stuff. And there was um, a wedding that I, Megan and I were invited to do a duet at. And so at this particular part of my life, like I was really, like I always had a real passion for music. I love music. And so I was starting to think, you know, hey, this might be something that I can do. And uh, so I'm beginning to dream about what it looks like to do this for the rest of my life and the things that I might go and do in the, in the context of what God is doing in the world and how I might use it. And so we sang at this wedding, and, and they gave us this casting crown song, and, uh, and I thought I rocked it. I mean, really. Like, I, I felt really good about it afterwards. Like, this is great. I love this. It really makes me feel good. And a few months later, we were actually sitting down, and we watched the, the replay. It was on DVD. So we're sitting there, and I'm like, this doesn't sound right. Like, there must have been issues with the audio recording. <laughs> I promise. And so I asked, uh, which, you know, is not a painless process sometimes. And so I just asked. I said, does this sound right to you? I mean, is that, I don't think it sounded like that. Is that how it sounded? And one of the people that was there very lovingly, very gently said, yeah, that's, that's how it sounded. <laughs> and I was like, are you sure? Because I don't think I sounded like that. I mean, it sounds a little flat. I mean, does it sound flat to you? And they said... Yep. <laughs> and, and I was at first, I was like heartbroken. I was like, man, I must have had something, you know, like cold, you know, like I, that threw off my whatever, tonal whatever. Um, but that was honestly a really important time in my life because it helped me to discern that, you know what, I'm not created to do this. And I'm passionate about music, but the truth is sometimes God gives us passions so that we can more fully appreciate things. Right, to be able to fully appreciate and love something is a gift. But it doesn't mean you're gifted to do it. Right, sometimes we find that as we invite other people to speak into our lives, as we pursue this, God, this life that God's created for us, we find that, you know what, we're not created to do and gifted to do what we thought we were. Sometimes, however, we find that people see things in us that we didn't see in ourselves. And when I started in, in uh, beginning to do ministry, and I had always kind of done ministry since middle school, but actually I got a paycheck for it. Um, I was working for Campus Life, and uh, yeah, I know we've got a lot of Campus Lifers here. I love Campus Life. And part of what I did with Campus Life involved, you know, meetings, and I would speak and share, but I was awful, absolutely awful. And um, I mean, really, the first time that I got up to give a message like this that wasn't my own story, I had no concept of how long I would go or, like, how things worked. And so I got up, and the person who was hosting the event said, hey, Aaron, how long are you going to speak for? And I said, oh, you know, probably 20 minutes. 
is what I'm thinking, you know. And I had been laboring over this for weeks because I was so nervous. I couldn't sleep, and I was trying to get out of it, but ultimately, you know, I did it. And so I got up and I spoke, and 30 minutes later, I'm still talking. 60 minutes later, I'm still talking. High schoolers, by the way. Still talking. 90 minutes later, I'm still talking. I'm not kidding. 90, I went over 90 minutes. My first message talking to high schoolers, it was awful. It was awful. Because I, I was just not good. Like, I had not, nobody taught me how to speak. I just, like, it was like my whole, everything I'd ever learned, I just brain dumped on these poor kids. You know? And then there was another time that I got up, and this was at River Tree Church, uh, when I was doing the music there, and I was preaching one week, and I got up, and, and I didn't like the message, and I'd heard of guys that they don't have to write out their messages. You know, God just speaks in the moment. Let the spirit move. And so I was like, I'm going to do that. So I got up, and, you know, just kind of doing this stream of consciousness thing, which I should have known was a really bad idea. And so I got up there, but when I get up there, you have to know, like, when I speak, I have a hard time, like, not seeing your facial reactions and stuff, you know, like, your responses. I see when things start to get long and people are, like, hunching down and looking at their phone and, you know, on Facebook. And so, like, I get up there, and, you know, so when people stand up and leave, I'm like, hey, where, where were you going? Hey, excuse me, you know, did I offend you, you know? Uh, do you know Jesus? Come back, please. It'll be better next time, you know? Like, I, I just do that. Like, I see things. So I'm standing up there, and I see all these faces staring back at me, and I'm just like a deer in the headlights. And I totally forgot what I was going to say. And so I, like, I read this passage of scripture, and I, I got nothing. So I like, take a deep breath, and then I read it again, like another chapter. And I'm just, wait, I'm like, God, come on. Like, I need something. And there was just nothing. And so literally, less than five minutes, like some of these guys were there for this. Less than five minutes later, I'm like, I just like bowed out. I was like, let's close in prayer. And I closed in prayer, and it was so short that, that one of the worship team members, like they had to scramble to get on stage, and they are still. I am not gifted to speak or to teach. Like, I am terrified every time I get up there and I keep bombing. And, and that's okay. I've just come to this realization that, you know, I'm going to be one of those guys that's more, like, interpersonal and serves behind the scenes, and I'm really okay with that, which was a big thing to come to just spiritually, you know, character-wise. And, and I'll never forget what Brian said. He said, Aaron, I respect that, but you're wrong. I couldn't disagree with you more. So there's a lot of things you can learn about speaking, and, and you need to do the hard work to do that, but you need to know that there is a gift in you for that. And for me, that was, that was a game changer for me. And I didn't really fully believe it at the time, but it hugely affected uh, my story moving forward and, and what I would begin to live into. And now, you know, obviously speaking is a big part of what I do, and I really feel like this is, this is a part of my destiny. And I'm not a great communicator by any means, but I'm getting better little by little. And there are times, oftentimes, when God uses what I say, especially sometimes in the messages I feel like I totally tanked and I didn't like it and I didn't feel like I did a good job. And God does something in the lives of people. And that's what happens when you begin to live into the life that you were created to live. Sometimes people see things in you that you never would have seen in yourself. Well, I feel like I've been talking for a while, and I've got like four pages left, so, um, so I'm not going to go there. 
But here's, here's what I would end it with, and this is where I would encourage you. It's too bad. I got some good stuff. <laughs> you need to pay attention to what is going on in here. You need to pay attention to the longings and the desires and the hopes that God gives you. And this is true whether you're 13 years old and this is the first time you've thought about the kind of life God might be might have created you to live, or whether you're 65 and realizing that you've got a lot of life to live yet. Right? There are times when God creates us to do certain things. He's created us for certain seasons. Right? That part of your destiny might not be to do the same thing over and over and over for the rest of your life. For some of us, that might be true. But for many of us, I think God calls us to do things in certain seasons. And so you've got to pay attention to what God is doing in your heart and your soul. You've got to pay attention to those, those dreams those visions, those things that won't go away, right? Those longings. And I'm not just talking about surface-level longings like I long for a Chipotle burrito in this moment, right? It's all well and good. It might not be God. It might just be my stomach, you know, or, or those, those desires that for things that you know contradict the character of God and what he would have you do. But I'm talking about those deeper longings within your soul, those things that linger, those things that keep you up at night, those things that won't seem to go away. One of my favorite passages of the scripture is this. And worship band, you can come up. Uh, Psalm 37.4, and this is what it says. It says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I used to think that that meant that you do a few right things, and God just gives you everything that you want. But what I've come to discover is that what it is, is as you submit your life to Jesus Christ and you begin to follow him, he starts to change what's going on in here. He starts to give you new vision, new hopes, new dreams. He starts to give you a longing to do the kinds of things that he has created you to do. One of my favorite quotes is by uh, Erwin McManus. And, and he is the pastor of Mosaic LA that we launched this church out of. And he said this, he said, When you follow Jesus, when you're walking with Jesus, you can trust your desires. When you're walking with Jesus, you can trust your desires. Perhaps you're here this morning and you would say that for much of your life, perhaps at this point or perhaps just this season, would be characterized perhaps by apathy, by sitting by, by lack of proactivity, just waiting for things to come to you, waiting for God to do something with your life. And God is saying, no, 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 I'm waiting on you to do something with your life. I've given you gifts. I've given you talents. I've given you passions. Are you going to be faithful with those or not? Are you going to be courageous enough to step into the gap, to take risks, to go to places perhaps you've never gone, to do things you've never done? Because there is a future for you. There is a destiny. There are things that I've created for you that are only for you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your patience with thick-headed people like me. God, I thank you that you allow us to fail and don't run the other way. I thank you for those that you surround us with who help us begin to discover how we are created. And God, I pray for us as a community moving forward for the individuals in this room God that you would continue to make it clear what you've created us for I ask God that you would awaken the longings within our souls those longings that are unique to us God that 
that the old men would dream dreams and young men would see new visions. And God, that out of this community would be birthed all types of things, beautiful things in our city and in our world. God, do a work in us so that you can do a work through us. We pray all these things, God, in your name. Amen.